0: Regular seasons come and go, but Dynasty is life. Dynasty Life Podcast is back. I'm Theo Greminger, and I'm really excited because today I'm joined by one of the biggest names, I think, in the Dynasty space right now. And that's my friend Scott Connor. I've had an opportunity to podcast with Scott many times now, and he always brings the heat. I've had a chance to compete against him multiple times in leagues, and I just really enjoy talking to him. I think if I had to put like my my Mount Rushmore. Of dudes that if I really needed help with my Dynasty roster and I could go ask specific questions to, Scott would definitely be on that that list for me. He's very, very concise in his takes. He has different approaches than some analysts, and you're everywhere, Scott. You're putting out really, really high-quality content. Uh, The stuff you're doing with Destination Devi, uh, Dynasty Trades in 5 is just one of the best Dynasty shows out there. You're you're crushing it, man. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find your work and what you have going on right now?
1: Well, right back at you, Theo. We've podcasted many, many times on numerous shows over the years, so always good chopping it up with you. Uh, Congrats on the new show. I mean, you're doing so much, and I think you probably do even more behind the scenes that people don't even know about. But you can find me at Destination Devi. That's where all my specific content is. Podcasting, I do Destination Dynasty, which is our flagship dynasty show once a week. Just started a new series on the YouTube channel called Dynasty Portfolio Weekly. And if you like quick hit content, 10-15 minutes, it's literally going through like something I'm trying to achieve in my own portfolio i run all the content over there. So anything you see on the website, podcast feed, YouTube, I'm usually the ones behind the scenes kind of managing it and getting it so that it's on track. And then trades in five, trades in five. We do a couple shows a week, myself and Shane, we do manic and chill once a week, which is just Shane and I mostly just BSing about a topic. Uh, and then we do our obviously live streams every Tuesday night from eight thirty to 10. So that's where you find me trades in five. Destination Devi, and then you know places like this every once in a while. So appreciate you having me, bro. No, any
0: time. And and on Dynasty Life, I don't want to sound like every single other Dynasty show. I really like to try to get into the deep Dynasty strategy. I want to try to identify edges for players. It's really fun for me and you to sit here and just kind of you know would you know who where where should we rank Jameer Gibbs in Dynasty? Like pretty high. That's uh that's not the content I'm, I'm going for here. But I think it's really interesting with you is anybody who's listened to your content over the years, you're a little bit different with it because you're a portfolio player. And maybe you want to explain to people kind of what that is and what are the advantages and disadvantages of being a portfolio player, Scott? And I I think that uh, maybe give them your, if you're comfortable, give your total count of leagues this year and kind of the ways you're able to manage a vast number of dynasty leagues and rosters?
1: Yeah, so it's a big question, but I'll try to tackle it as quick as I can just because I think there's a lot of nuance we could get into. We could do an entire episode talking portfolio. So if you want to hear more about that, that portfolio weekly show that I put out is going to touch more on it. For me, I'm in 53 leagues this year, ranging from buy-ins of $50 to $3,000. You know, they're all over the map. I think the first thing, and maybe some people disagree with this, is I really don't treat them that different. Now, do I know, and I'm sure you know where the big money leagues are, you know, the big money decisions that you have to make, the couple teams you're tracking going, man, if this goes my way, I'm going to win seven grand this weekend or whatever, you know. But largely, I treat them all as a stock portfolio. Now, you have some stocks that are worth, you know, a thousand bucks and some are worth $50, but the idea, and the reason why I think portfolio playing is beneficial is two reasons. One, you are able to leverage a lot of the variants that exist in fantasy football that you can never remove. I don't care how much data you have, how much film you watch, how much content you consume. You can have access to even the players. Or the, there's a level of access that we don't even have, right? Like we don't have that. Even if I have every piece of public available information, I don't have probably 50% of what you would really need to know to make good decisions. So assuming that I can lean into a strategy of I'm making a lot of bets. I'm able to play the odds more often than not, and just make decisions that way. So that's the first thing I can hedge my bets in a lot of places. I can play into the variance to where, okay, as long as everything is just a cost benefit decision, I can actually embrace the variance To benefit me when it goes negatively in other places. So I think that's easy for other people to understand. I think the second thing, and this is bigger and it's not something I'm able to actually tackle with as much data right here on the show, but you know it if you play in a lot of leagues and I know you play in a lot of leagues and you probably get this same feeling when you're managing redraft portfolio as well. There's a lot of ways you can zoom out and just say, Hey, I have 50 teams. I'm going to generally build them this way. Every push decision is going to be a pull decision. I can play the teams against each other in terms of exposure and different types of builds. But ultimately, when it comes to managing them week to week, day to day, like Dynasty is right now, a lot of the decisions are out of my hands. You know, my team is built overall in the same general direction, but... When it comes to how I've built that, I can lean into the macro strategy. And then when it comes to a week-to-week decision-making on a specific team, I don't have a lot of tough decisions. It's kind of like, hey, I built this team this way. It didn't work out. Instead of panicking and saying, man, I really need to get that $200 buy-in back, so I need to make suboptimal decisions to chase it, I can just walk away. Hey, it didn't work out on this time. And there's a lot of things in fantasy that if you embrace that and you just say, "Hey, I'm going to let the build speak for a lot of my decisions," takes a lot of the stress out of it. I don't know about you Theo, but there's a lot of stress in fantasy football. When you're I saying, "I no need doubt. one outcome." It, it talk about there have been nights where I go, "I need this player to score 22 points and I win a main event." Dude, I, sometimes I don't even want to watch the game. I'll just go to sleep, you know what I mean, and I'll wake yeah. up and I go, "Hopefully they got the points." But like it can be stressful. And like, I don't need more of that in my life. So I I try to use this as a way to just say, you know what, I'm going to let chips fall where they may.
0: I think that you kind of put that in a perfect sense. And I think that the portfolio nature of your game and being kind of like not so player-specific take, but more also like the way you construct things and it kind of moves you, that really resonated with me with some of your takes with your redraft leagues this year, where you you talk about the stress in fantasy you talk about if you construct your roster a specific way, kind of like the start-sit decisions are kind of made for you. Um, you know, I, I love the way you think with that. And I'll say this, Scott. A lot of people emulate your model for this, but for years now, you've been willing to do these pivot trades where a lot of people might look at a trade and say, Hey, I'm moving up from Brian Robinson to Saquon Barkley. Maybe that one's not as good an example anymore, but a couple of months ago, I'm moving from Brian Robinson to Saquon Barkley, where you might take a flip side argument. You are always looking to get, and not this is not like you're a dog, dogmatic with this, but in a general sense, am I wrong in saying that you like taking a pick and a player for another player, uh, and you're going to more likely than not make more trades like that over the years than any other trade in your portfolio, giving you essentially two assets: one asset that never loses value, the pick, and then a player where we think we've figured things out, and then all of a sudden, a guy like Brian Robinson finishes the top five is a top five running back this this year, or a guy like Nico Collins is going to finish inside of the top twenty four at the wide receiver position. Like values change, we don't always get it right, but in your approach you're getting like almost a two for one am I am I kind of am I selling that idea short or is that pretty much uh, the premise of sort of the the model of trading?
1: no that's definitely the premise I, I do think there's factors that we now can use to embrace that strategy even more because we can put data and we can put visuals behind it. so destination Devi we have the war tool there's a lot of other places that have tools essentially can measure, the overall landscape of fantasy production. So we could always graph out what fantasy production looks like, let's say over a three-year period, right? Because we don't want to go back like 10 years because it is a little different than it was now. But let's just say we took like the last three years and I just showed you a very picture like you're zooming out on a picture of Earth and you see the globe, right? You see the map, you see all the continents, you see the countries. Pretend like you're zooming out on the entire fantasy game And you see a distribution graph, all the positions, they're color coded. You see a distribution graph where it's like, wow, quarterbacks are really steep and then they drop off and then they flatten in this range. You take that for all the positions generally, and you can customize it to your league. You can zoom way out and go, here's generally how the distribution of production is in my league. And then now that we have war, which is basically wins above replacement, you can actually measure how does that impact based on your starting lineup. So once you have that, you're looking for these ranges where it's like, all right, historically, let's take the running back example you gave. Historically, everyone's heard of the running back dead zone. That's a real thing. Now, where people get caught up in what players are going to be in there. Who's going to fall in there? Who's going to be more valuable than that range? Who's going to outproduce their ADP? But let's forget all of that and just look at, this is generally what a fantasy football season for running back impact looks like. And then you make your bets within those ranges. But an example you gave is, if I've already taken two players and I'm like, you know what, I think they're going to fall in that flat dead range, I don't care which one I have. In fact, that's probably a place where I'm willing to spread how many shares I have of everybody in that range. And anytime someone comes to me and says, you know what, I know that James Cook is better than Rashad White or vice versa. And I know which one is going to be better. And I'll give you a second round pick to get my guy. I'll just take the second round pick because I'm probably able to make the opposite bet in another league or in another league. Let's say it is James Cook versus Rashad White. I'm able to get them at the same price. And in the other league, guess what I'll do? I'll take James Cook. But in the other league, I traded James Cook for Rashad White in a second. So I got a piece of each one across my portfolio, but I also netted a free second round pick. So I could have just picked the opposite ones and still had one share of each, but I used it to the fact that I added an extra second. Now, what do I want to do with that second? That's where your league has to kind of tell you what is a second worth. Can I trade it for a spot start? Can I trade it for Zach Moss for the next four weeks? There you go. Trust me, if I could have that second and just... I'm just pissing it away, Theo. I don't care about Zach Moss's future. If he can start for me during the fantasy playoffs and give me four games of 14 points or more per game, that's worth a second. And how did I get the second? By just making a 60-40 bet or a 40-60 bet on players in the same tier. You go back and look at some of the deals you made in there, you go, damn, I actually ended up with the better player and the second, and I bought Zach Moss. And I won. And I I literally lost nothing except for I let somebody else pick the player that they wanted. So in a nutshell, that is accumulating value in flat ranges. And you know, you can use war to look at that. That's that's the best use of it, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, no, I love it. And I and I play in a lot of high-stakes leagues and I play against a lot of very good players like yourself. And uh, you know, I make some money in this thing too. But I'll say that your 60-40 theory has resonated with me over the years, and I'll say like Scott, you're like low key, like you're an influencer of uh, of a lot, a lot of people in in Dynasty. I think don't you know the sixty forty thing. A lot of people are selling that same the same logic that you've been doing for years here, and I think that you really have made a big impact in the space. And I would love to talk about Dynasty startup stuff, but we're we're way too we're way too deep in in it. We're in week thirteen, so I can't really uh we'll, we'll do that. Save that one for the off season. But I think you've got a lot of game theory. And Shane and Clay and, and Ray, all the guys you're doing work with, they also have some fantastic thoughts on this sort of stuff as well. Highly recommend uh you check out Scott's work with those guys too. But I'll say this: like the other day I have a FFPC league and I end up trading Devon A chain. Or excuse me, I traded Brees Hall and a third to get Devon A. Chain a first and a second. And that's just like that's like 60 40 with like a, a little bit something on top. Would you, is that a, a pivot trade that you would be advising for? I mean, that seems like textbook, Scott Connor.
1: Yeah. And especially in today's market where, like, we were just talking about this earlier in the, uh, the DD Discord, and it's pretty much been a theme. And I think it's starting to resonate. And correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot more people are looking at running backs in a very short window meaning like even Brees Hall, Brees Hall could go on and have a great career, but even a guy like Brees Hall or Jonathan Taylor, when you approach somebody with one of those guys in dynasty today, last couple weeks of the season, right? They would be lying. If they said there was not part of what they are valuing those players at for what's going on with them right now, Jamar chase yeah, Garrett Wilson, people are willing to forgive that and go, I'll go on to next year. If I can get one of those guys it's not just that their production probably bounces back, but the market will be fine on those guys as soon as the season hits, right? Soon as the season ends, those guys are going to be right back up to where they were. Where's the running back? People have, especially when you get a manager that a year ago would have not made that deal with you because it's Brees Hall. Yeah. But then they win and they go, damn, you know, I won with Kyron Williams and Jerome Ford. Did I really need Brees Hall? That doesn't mean they don't want to have exposure to those guys but the obsession with having to tear up to get the next Bijan or to get Brees Hall or I just got to have Jonathan Taylor when he's injured again. Like, I think that's waning. So the deal you made, I mean, honestly, if I have to put Brees Hall or Devon Chain in a lineup for the rest of the year, hell, maybe the next year after this, I think it's a coin flip game to game. Who's better? And you netted a first and a second on top of it. And who knows what that's going to be. But I don't even look at that as, Theo, who are you going to pick with those picks? Who cares? That is money that is in your bank now that you never know what deal can come up in three months. And you go, damn, I added a first and now I got this. Then you look back and you're like, that is an awesome deal. And it wasn't one deal. It was two deals. And it took some time in between. But man, you're probably feeling good because is that a contending team?
0: No, I am not contending with that team. That's a a rebuild team anyway. So if it uh, was
1: contending, would you have still made the deal?
0: I think I would. And I think that that's right. also something I want to I run by you because, you know, and I wish I could give credit to this person who I saw on Twitter making this statement, but I completely agree with it. And, uh, you know, not trying to steal somebody else's idea here, but the whole idea notion of dynasty is trading away older players when you're uh, in a rebuild mode to get younger or to get picks. That whole notion to me is something where I completely agree with this person that that's something we should be looking to do even when we're contenders. Because a lot of times these older players will break down this time of year, and it's the same time that we see these younger players taking big steps forward. And certainly like if you talk about it from like a stock portfolio, I don't say to myself – Uh, I want to make all my money this year. I'm not really worried about, you know, how my portfolio is going to look in 18 months. If you're doing dynasty right, I'm always kind of continuing to accumulate picks and I'm always trying to make my roster younger. uh, And and I'll put younger with a caveat, ascending players, like guys with kind of unknown upside, I think go into that younger box. Would you agree with that, that we should be a little less concerned about like the situation of the moment when it comes to most players in the decisions we make with these sort of trades.
1: Yeah. So I ran, this is funny. You brought this topic up because I ran an experiment two weeks ago when I just pulled a random sample of 20 leagues that I have. So I literally just picked a, a group of leagues on my list and I went and I looked, okay, I picked three players, Tyree Hill, Christian McCaffrey, Stefan Diggs. So of those 20 leagues, what place was the team on that had those three players? And what what percentage, so that would be 60 shares of the three players across 20 leagues, right? Because there's one in each one, right? Of what percentage of those 60, Theo, were on teams where they were already in the top three or top two of the league? McCaffrey, Diggs, and Tyreek Hill.
0: I'm, I'm, at, a, I'm at a loss here, Scott. Let us know.
1: So, I mean, I thought it would be like 80, 85%. It was over 90%, meaning those teams already had those difference-making players. In fact, they're the reason the teams were probably at the top of the standings or a big reason that they were. So it's weird that you say, okay, rarely do you find the quote-unquote high-impact players that I'm talking about from like a war perspective. Like who's at the top of the graph? Rarely in week 11 do you look up and you go, damn, that Christian McCaffrey, he's on a 3-7 and team. You know, he's probably not. So what you end up with is if you end up with this market where a lot of the, I don't want to say not difference-making players, but a lot of the players that could help you if you're willing to take the gamble end up on some of these middling teams. So like your Zach Mosses, your Jerome Fords, they may be hanging out on a 6-6 and team right now. And that's the team that goes, you know what? I lost the last two weeks. Sorry, Zach Moss isn't going to help me. I'm willing to sell him now. So it's actually, I think, some of the players that are not as impactful that you find on teams that are willing to trade them away. But I think the real savvy dynasty move is, if I can go to a contending team, Theo, and I look at my roster and I go, damn, this team's good, but it's got Mike Evans, Keenan Allen, and Stefan Diggs on it. Now, all three of those guys are going to help me win, but do I need all three to win? Probably what I need is at least one of them to smash the rest of the year. I probably need at least one of the others to have at least one big game before the finals. But I don't need all three to average 20 points per game. In fact, if I can go to another contender of mine, I mean, I saw a deal the other day, someone gave up like probably a mid-superflex mid first for Keenan Allen. And that's a team going all in. And I'm sitting here going like, all right, if I have a team that I think is already good, top two in the league, top of the standings in points scored, wouldn't it be a decent bet to go and actually sell one of those guys? Maybe not to my other like top, top tier team. right? I don't need to buy the 112. But let's say Theo's in fifth place. And he goes, you know what? I'd love to get a, a difference-making piece to try to put me over the top. So I sell you, Keenan Allen. People go, oh my God, you sold Keenan Allen on a first place team? What are you doing? Really, all I'm doing is making a bet that he's not going to absolutely kill me the rest of the year. He's probably going to be good, but is he good enough for you to beat me? And what if I still beat you because I have a little depth? Maybe now that means I can slide Jerome Ford into my lineup every week. Maybe it means I can slide another player into my lineup that wasn't quite getting in there every week, but you gave me that first. If I'm right on that first, I still end up winning, and I bank the 107, 108. Like you got to make those moves to get ahead. It can't just be, well, I have so much depth. I have a really good team. I refuse to sell anything knowing it's all going to expire at the end of the year. So, yeah, on your contending teams, you should be looking at where are their flat war ranges of players and where are their excess pieces that I can sell for the market value. I mean, you've probably seen it. How how people are paying for the Keenan Allen's, the Mike Evans, you know, and in three weeks, are you going to be able to sell that Mike Evans, Theo? No. End of season is is anyone gonna you'll be able to sell him. Does is the demand for him at all that high in four weeks? No. It's gonna be well, maybe I'll take him for next year. I'll give you a two ten. You know what I mean? That that's gonna be the market. So if you can get double that today, take the chances. Maybe you can still win without him.
0: Yeah, no, no, I love it. And I think you also speak to the game theory nature of it's not this is we're not playing dynasty best ball here where it's a cumulative uh you know score at the end of the season. Lineup mm-hmm. decisions matter and weird, you know, not to get too technical for everybody, but weird stuff happens when we get late in the season. Week 17, you know, we have big name players abandon us certain times. Uh, we have guys coming out of nowhere and putting up huge scores. So a lot of these things all, all fall in place, especially when you're kind of pushing the chips in all in. We're going to dive into a number of more things. Oh, a quick uh, shout out. Uh, the chat is lit right now. If everybody could uh, smash the like button. Liking and subscribing to these videos definitely helps us a lot here. It was Jeff Bell who had that tweet. So I'm going to go ahead and retweet that later because it like blew my mind. I saw that a little while ago, but we're going to get back at it with a few more uh, discussions about strategy. And also we got to talk about a few players, namely Tank Dell and a few of these other players that have just been rising and rising over the last few weeks with these dynasty values. We'll be right back in a few minutes.
2: This episode brought to you by Mojo. Mojo is that player stock market. We love Mojo because we like making lifetime bets on players. You run out the clock on these guys. Mojo just rolled out a brand new fantasy platform. That's right. So now you can build a portfolio of player props. Oh, Jamar Chase, over 77.5. Oh, Kadarius Tony under 15.5. Whatever the under is on Kadarius Tony, it doesn't matter. You can just stack up the props in your portfolio, and the beauty is... Once the Sunday games kick off, it's not over. It's not over until it's over with Mojo, because once those games kick off, you can then move in and out of positions. Let's say that you're well ahead of expectations. You can cash out. Let's say you're behind expectations. You're underwater. Well, you can double down. That's what makes Mojo so special, why they're different. Check it out. Go to the App Store. Get the Mojo app and use the promo code UNDERWORLD. The promo code UNDERWORLD get you a 100% deposit match up to 100 bucks. So the promo code is underworld and they will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Go to Mojo, start building your portfolio and then during the games you can be a fantasy day trader.
1: Woo.
0: Welcome back to Dynasty Life. I'm Theo Greminger joined by Scott Connor of Destination Devi and Dynasty Trades in 5. Scott, you know, one, one question I ask everybody on First Class Fantasy press coverage and here on Dynasty Life is, what player has been the biggest positive surprise for you this season? And I like guests to try to exclude Puka Nakua here. And I'll say this, when I ask people this on Press Coverage and First Class Fantasy, you know, we get a number of answers, but it doesn't really resonate. But if I make the wrong decision in a dynasty startup or the wrong decision in a dynasty rookie draft, it can really hold a lot of significant weight for kind of years to come and seasons to come. Who was, who was a guy that really has been a positive surprise for you in your evaluation process?
1: Man, when you when you put this on the show sheet, I was sitting here thinking there's so many names you could mention. Uh, there's quarterbacks you could throw up, Brock Purdy, C.J. Stroud, Dak Prescott. But I think that was similar last year. We saw quarterbacks come from that kind of like QB2 range to finish as QB1s last season. Different names, obviously, but you see that. I think we're going to start seeing that more as a trend to where QB scoring is really starting to flatten off after the top couple. And if you're right in that range at the cheapest price, I think that's going to be a bet that you can win consistently every year. Just don't ask me because I don't always know which quarterbacks there's going to be. So I think the biggest one, I already mentioned him earlier. Got to be Kyron Williams. It's got to be, it's got to be the guy where, and I think this is maybe because almost all of my teams take the hero running back, any running back on a 53 approach, the biggest, the biggest, with Kyron Williams is you needed to set your team up to where you had him in your lineup. I had numerous high stakes teams where I built that way. You know, I, I made, he wasn't the only one, so I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh yeah, I had so much Kyron Williams, but he was one of maybe six running backs where I was like, you know what? There's, he's a guy that's not being priced as a next man up running back yet. He clearly was coming into the year. And it was a team that everyone lowered all their running backs anyway because they thought it was going to be a god-awful team, and it didn't end up being. And then, you know, things break his way, and boom. He's somebody that you can start every week. But, Theo, I had numerous teams where Kyron Williams was in my week one lineup. A lot of people didn't get around to putting him in until week two, week three. You know? And then they missed out on, what, 30% of his production in the first couple weeks? You're
0: you're chasing previous week's production. And a lot of times you miss out on the biggest game of the season.
1: And then if you were a little skeptical, he gets hurt. He comes back. I looked on, um, safe leagues and the week he returned from IR, he still was only started in like 55% of leagues. So that's another 45% of people that missed out again on his big week. And now you're going to be chasing him the rest of the year. And what you don't want to do in Dynasty is, I think Kyron Williams is actually a pretty good buy for Dynasty if you're going to buy a running back. Now acknowledge, let's say you pay a late first, early second for Kyron Williams. You're pissing the pick away when you buy a running back like that. So, I mean, if you say, hey, next year there's no value, you're basically buying for the rest of the season. But it really stings when you buy now, even at 80% of his market price, and you didn't get any of that prior production. So I think this it speaks to you have to set your team up to be able to play him. And Tank Dell is probably the other one. I saw a couple of people mention Tank Dell. Same thing. How many teams did you have Tank Dell on, Theo?
0: I had a few, and it was like more like a, okay, I guess I'll take him here type it, thing. I'm not going to say – I'm not going to claim that – like he wasn't a guy that – w- I'll say this. I talked about him this past offseason on a podcast with Jax Falcone, Scott Bollinger – um, and we were kind of intrigued by it because coming out of the University of Houston gets drafted by the Houston Texans. We, I thought he could end up being like a, like a Hollywood Brown type. I never anticipated that it could be like this. And it wasn't like I took him with every roster. I had him in a couple startups and a couple of rookie drafts, but Scott, it's like found money. It's like thinking you got 10 bucks in your pocket and you got $200 bills.
1: Well, and the funny thing is in week, Week one, he didn't do much. He was a rookie, right? His first game, scored like seven points. And then week two and week three, he smashed. But you know how many people started him in? Now, I had him in one league in Kentucky, which is a start three receiver league and a flex. But you know where he was in week two and week three, Theo, when there was no buys and no injuries? On my bench, right? Because I built the team around like, all right, I'll take a shot on him. But I missed out on two of his best four games, Because he was on my bench. And I I think that is, especially when you're talking shallow leagues, and that's what makes like FFPC and NFFC and Kentucky so hard because we're talking start eight with a kicker and a defense. You know, it is very difficult to capture those spike beats. But damn, when you have a receiver that goes for 30, 35 points, run the war in an FFPC league when you have a receiver that does what DK Metcalf did last night. That team doesn't lose. You have have to have the worst luck possible when you look up and you're projected to score 190 points now to lose. But how many of those can you capture? And the reality is in shallow leagues, people can talk about, oh, man, I love Tank Dell. I was on him from the beginning. I liked him in preseason, blah, blah, blah. Tell me, because he scored 20-plus points in week two and week three, right? Then he was injured for a little bit. Then he came back, didn't do anything. Blows up against Tampa for 30 in week nine. I'll bet you cumulatively you probably had 20% or less people that started him in those weeks. So you can tout, but did you actually capture the production in your lineup? And if you can show me a start nine, start eight where you did, kudos. You know that, And that's where it's easier to do it at running back. Kyron Williams, there were some teams where I go, like I drafted Brees Hall in the league, Jonathan Taylor in the league. I don't have anybody else to play for you. I just got to throw Kyron Williams in there, and it's found money. Yeah. unless you have him in your lineup, it doesn't matter. It does not matter if Tank Dell has five games over 20 points. How many of them was he in your lineup? And if it was one out of five, was it really a good pick in a redraft league? No, it wasn't. now let's let's
0: before we get to you know a player you were very disappointed in, which I'm really interested to see who you're going to say, let's stay on Kyron Williams a little bit because you're talking about a sub 200 pound back. And we have to talk about a lot of them. We already talked about Devon A. Chain early in the show. And then I'll throw James Cook into the conversation. Let's throw Keaton Mitchell into the conversation. And then let's throw in the one that we all bet on big, Jameer Gibbs. You're talking about five running backs that are all sub-199 pounds uh, and some of them sub-190. Um, For the most part, we're talking about backs with elite speed besides Kyron Williams, who runs like a 4-7. Kyron Williams, it's crazy. He's such an outlier, but we can get back to that. So for the most part, these guys have four out of five of them have elite speed. They're all smaller backs. And between the five of them, despite missing some significant times in the season, we have 17 RB1 performances. And a lot of these RB1 performances were week winning performances, especially when you look at some of the elite numbers we've seen from Gibbs, A-Chain, and for Keaton Mitchell in that one particular week. You're very big on looking at size, speed, ratios, being able to analyze prospects. Does this sort of production from these lower BMI running backs to this extent, change your philosophy in any way it's the age of running back by committee are we going to start looking at these high value explosive type players with two-way ability maybe a little bit more uh, a little bit higher regard than we would have in years past or do you think that this is a temporary blip and we're going to get back to it and you still want that 220 pound guy
1: I mean, I think generally you're always going to favor the profile that you traditionally can project for more touches. People are going to gravitate towards that no matter what. But I do think you have to go back to evaluate, and I see some comments in there about how Kyron Williams isn't good and he won't be anything next year. Here's the reality. Maybe four running backs I care about in Dynasty after this year. Meaning as soon as the season ends, you pick your favorite running back, the market has been reset period. I will go to bat with a blank slate going into next year. I'll build my running back room organically. And that includes a guy, a guy like Kyron Williams, but there's no reason to go into next year and say, I still like Rashad white, but I don't like Kyron Williams. The reality is a team has already said they trust him to play on every down. Now here's the other thing, the fallacy about competition in a backfield. I want every running back I have to get tons of competition period. I I want the team to embrace having multiple running backs because what it does for me, the way that I play it, it dilutes the entire pool for everybody else. If it, if everybody just had to say, okay, what running back's going to get 350 touches and those are the guys everybody went after, then fine. It would be very easy to decipher. But that's eroding. How many running backs are going to get 350 touches in a given year? 300 even. So I want every backfield to have a committee. Cause it leans into this strategy of all you have to do is have him in the lineup. Cause I don't have anybody else to pick. So Kyron is a specific player. That's probably going to have another running back join the backfield. And then it just comes down to what type of touches is he going to get on his team? Even if that's only 60% of the snaps instead of 85, it doesn't matter. The principle is the same. So yeah, I think there's a lot of traditional thinking when it comes to running backs yet NFL teams are not operating that way. So it's basically, they're all replaceable, but I want to have a collection of them going into next year. And i that's where you're just playing the market. Who does the market not like? I'll buy into those guys cheaper. Who does everybody have to have next year? Like everyone's going to be all in on A-chain again when the rest of the backfield departs. Why? You know, what's the difference between that and, and many other players that you could pivot to?
0: I love it. And I think that it's a very interesting take where the fact that the bell cow is dying uh, in terms of like the guy who's getting the incredible touch touch share in the season, that player becomes more expensive. and then the other group of running backs all become less expensive. So instead of necessarily having a Bijan Robinson focused team, you can end up with six potential backs that might be top, you know, eighteen, top twenty backs on your roster and with attrition at the position you might be in better shape. It's a difficult kind of pill to swallow because I think we're so programmed uh you know over the years that we need that Todd Gurley, you know, we need that guy to really crush our fantasy leagues, but I really think that that we're you're onto something and the league is changing. Quick question here, you know, with a little pushback in the chat. Let's stay on Rashad White for just just very very briefly, Scott. Because this is a guy that a lot of people thought was going to lose all this value, he's up to running back six on the season. Do you think this is a testament to Rashad White's ability, or do you think it's really a a, a player that's maximized his situation, caught a number of passes, seen the volume as a runner, and he sort of uh, accumulated these stats? Because I'm somewhere in between. Like Rashad White's a guy that we had, we were way ahead of at Player Profiler, took some heat, and now we look you know, we look smart because he's he's running back six, but there's still people that despite 50 catches as a rookie and top six uh, production right now, still think that he's just not very good. Where are you at on Rashad White?
1: I think it's a multifactorial answer, but with Rashad White specifically, I think it's just a perfect storm. He's really not that good of a running back if you look at a lot of his efficiency numbers, but you know what? He's in a role where it's a perfect storm of it's a better offense than we thought. It's an offense that throws to the running back more than people probably projected. And the reality is nobody else in his backfield is any good. Now, is that, does that mean it is translatable when the season ends or could another Rashad white show up in Tampa Bay? And then you're like, okay, well, Rashad white is good, but now there's this other guy and, and that doesn't change his profile. He's still going to be the same guy that he was, but, short term. And maybe that's the same with Kyron Williams, that the team has found something that works. And I think the other assumption, it's fair to be made that with a guy like Kyron Williams or Rashad white, like those guys weren't high draft picks either. Teams probably don't plan on paying them much. Like as long as the coach has shown that they are willing to just let them have as much work as they can get, why not embrace that for the short term? But I think the fallacy is, well, Rashad white had 325 opportunities this year. He's shown he can do it, which means it's just going to happen again next year. I don't think you can look at it. I think it's year to year. I think what we need to do a better job of Theo is when we see, when we see a running back in one given week, and there's a lot of people out there that cover this data week to week. If you see a random player next year in week two that you go, wow, that guy had 88% of the running back snaps and 26 of the 30 running back touches, Like, file that away as somebody to maybe take a calculated shot on. Even if it goes back to dry the next week, that's where you find the next Kyron Williams. Because what happened when Kyron Williams went out and played every snap right at the beginning of the year? No one bought into it, right? It was a fluke. Someone else is coming down the road. Zach Evans is going to come in and eat into his work. You know, they're going to sign this guy. They're going to sign that guy. But it really wasn't true. The team was like, you know what? We trust him in this role, and maybe it continues. So I think we got to keep an eye on that because those situations hit us, and then what you make a mistake on is next year you go well here's going to be the analysis. Let's say Kyron Williams ends the year and he gets injured. Let's just God forbid he tears an ACL. Right, the Rams will probably bring in another running back, correct?
2: And the assumption
1: will be well, you know they draft Blake Corum, so they're going to treat him like Kyron Williams because look what they did with Kyron Williams next year. But what if they don't? You can't just say, oh, the coach did it, so the next guy's going to do the same thing. Like They're they're micro seasons within a season where you kind of have to latch onto it, and when it's over, it's over. I don't think you can just project it forward to the next year. We're we're not good enough at doing that.
0: I I love it. I love it. Let's quickly rank these guys, though, because in the chat you mentioned four, and I don't know if that was four in the royal sense or four in just like, hey, there's four running backs I like, but I want you to rank these guys. So can we agree right now, that the top two running backs in dynasty are Bijan Robinson and Jameer Gibbs, or we need to talk about that.
1: Nope. Those are those are two of the four. Yep.
0: We're in the clear there. So let's rank these guys for dynasty startups next year. I'm going to give five names, Jonathan Taylor, Brees Hall, Travis Etienne, Devon A-Chain, Christian McCaffrey. Now, first of all, is there another player you'd want to throw in the mix of those five in discussion for this like tier below these rookies that we we have see insulated value and in talent
1: cmc Nothing. i mentioned
0: somebody in the chat said cmc in there but uh yeah cmc's in this mix so i'll say it again taylor Brees hall etn christian McCaffrey, devon a chain of those guys which guy is your running back three
1: so I'm never going to give a direct answer on this because I think it depends, but I'll I'll break it down in two different ways. If you're ranking, if I'm selecting them purely to go and try to play the market, it's probably Brees Hall, and then it goes like ETN, A-Chain, and then it's probably McCaffrey and Jonathan Taylor to round out the back half. That's assuming, and this is a big assumption, that because I've seen people do this. In a startup, they'll take Brees Hall in the second round of the startup, and they think they have a second round asset, right? But then anything goes wrong, what are you going to happen with a running back? It's not even that you don't have a second-round asset. I think everybody in your league would go, oh, damn, that sucks. Brees Hall's out for a month. He's still worth what he's worth. You can't go liquidate what he's worth, though. You can't go and convert that to something else. So the bet you made on Brees Hall is Brees Hall. So if I'm stuck with the asset, it's either A, the cheapest, but B, if I'm stuck with the asset and I have to build my team around to try to win, how how is it not Christian McCaffrey?
0: Yeah, there you go.
1: Right, like and and dynasty RB three. It's it's very similar with Travis Kelsey at tight end, at least coming into this year. You almost couldn't put him in the running back rankings because entirely driven by what people want at the time is what his market would be. There were leagues where you couldn't trade Christian McCaffrey for Brees Hall because the team's one in ten and they have Brees Hall. Why would they do that, right? But then there's a team that would love to get Christian McCaffrey, but you can't get him from them because all you have to offer is Brees Hall. We're both ten and one. I have Brees Hall, have CMC. Theo, you want to get younger at running back? I'll give you Brees. You give me McCaffrey. You're gonna go. Ah, man, I don't know if I can do that, man. You know, McCaffrey. I,
0: I want my pile of cash. I'm ten and one, and I got so thirty points in the bag.
1: The the deal doesn't exist outside of those extreme markets. So in that case, if it's a startup, I'm assuming the market has been completely reset. So why would I draft Christian McCaffrey at RB3? But how that's... do I draft Brees Hall and end up with Christian McCaffrey and some extra assets? And I'm probably the winning team. So, so it's a that that's how you have to analyze it, I think.
0: And I love the way you take this, this question because I think a lot of people would simply just rank them, but trade equity and value go into every decision you make. And I think that if you're gonna take, I have one takeaway from listening to this. Uh, this podcast or watching us on YouTube is that that should matter. There's your, you have basically, I I love uh, thinking about this, but you have a dynasty roster where you have your quarterback position covered, your running back position covered, your tight end position covered, your wide receiver position covered, but you have two more positions that need to be covered draft picks and also trade equity. I need to be able to have pieces that I can move that give me flexibility. And if things go south with injuries, I can pivot and and move. So I think what Scott said was was great. Let's let's take this over to rookie wide receivers though. We talked about Tank Dell. Tank Dell's been the man of the moment. And not really the man of the moment. I mean he's been he's had like five games of over 18 points, four games over 20 points this season. Uh, you know, he's averaging more points per game than Garrett Wilson did as a rookie. Jalen Waddell did as a rookie amon Ross St. Brown did as a rookie I'm not selling him short by any means. And Puka Nakua is also going to have himself a historical season. So rapid fire without too much nuance. Who are you would you rather have on your dynasty rosters, Puka Nakua or Tank Dell? If I asked you this six weeks ago or asked, you know, a poll on Twitter six weeks ago, we would have gotten like 90% Puka. Now I think it's evened out a little bit. Where is Scott Connor at on this question?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll just say Tank Dell just because it it, a the market but b tiebreaker goes i mean i've done some research past in what what actually what actually creates difference making wide receiver seasons and the correlation between that and elite quarterback play is is spot on like you can finish top 15 even top 10 as a just good receiver in a bad situation but you know dell's tied to stroud I, I think that's going to A, insulate him, but I think it's B, going to give him a higher ceiling from a week-to-week and a season-to-season basis. So I'll just lean there if I have to pick between the two.
0: I, I love it. It was a very difficult question for me because I I love them both. Puka Nakua is a guy that's two years younger. He's bigger, uh, and that kind of weighed in for me. Like, But I, it made me sick to my stomach to, to to have to pick between that. Now, how about when you take those two guys, which are like the found money guys – neither one of them cost you a first or second round rookie pick versus the guys you put the big draft capital in where do Dell and Nakua fall in line with Zay Flowers, Jackson Smith and Jigba and Jordan Addison. If we basically had to re-rank these rookies and we could roster them from now to eternity, which way are you going with that group of five?
1: So I'll caveat by saying this, the odds that any of these five crack the true difference making range, which is typically like top eight, or better, is extremely low. But B, all five of them are in that next tier of, you know, think historically of guys like Michael Pittman, DJ Moore, Marquise Brown, you know, like really good wide receiver twos. So they're already pretty much all in the same cluster. So assuming that, who, do, who am I going to have more market flexibility within that range? And, and let me just say this, if I have 10 teams, I'm going to have at least one of each one of them. So let's, let's just say that. It's not that I'm out on any of them. But you're just trying to forecast, and I, it'd be cool if everyone in the chat kind of looked at this from who would you rank one through five, not from who you think the best player, player is. Because I'm basically saying the bet that I'm making, none of them are difference makers. None of them are going to turn into, damn, that's 20 points per game in a given season. They have different profiles. They came from different spots. But I think it's fair to say they're all in the same cluster now. Who do you think is the most flexible, though, Theo? Of those five, if I told you you need to go obtain a top six or eight dynasty receiver, you need to go get Amon Ross, St. Brown, Garrett Wilson, CD Lamb you probably can't get, A.J. Brown. I like think- You need to go get one of those, and you can add whatever you need to add. How would you rank those one to five in terms of who the other manager is most interested in getting as part of that deal.
0: That's the answer. I think that's, I think you kind of nailed it. And I think the answer right now is Dell because it has the biggest impact lately. And I think that's the biggest pivot type uh, from here. I think maybe the cleanest profile and based on what we've seen on the field and his usage might be Jordan Addison, but I think that he's already going to have a little bit of beat up because he's the de facto number two in his offense with Dell I think people look at him as a ability to pivot off of uh uh you know one of these elite wide receivers giving us elite redraft uh points to a guy that's younger and also producing. So I think that I think it it's probably Dell if you're going by that and I think that's a really interesting way to to look at it. And Scott, I don't mean to cut you off of the wide receivers. Because we can talk about this for an hour, but I got you for a couple more minutes. I want to rip through this one. Where is CJ Stroud who's had arguably one of the best rookie seasons of all time at the quarterback position. And looks like he's going to break Andrew Luck's record uh, this year as well. Where is he falling in line for you in your quarterback ranks? Cause I think it becomes interesting. Once you get past quarterback three, CJ Stroud sort of becomes a a real option at this point. And I had an opportunity to speak with Clay uh, over on, over on your guys pod. That was an awesome show. Shout out to Clay and all the work you do at dynasty trades in five, but That was like a a while ago at this point, and like we were both like head over heels of of Stroud at the time, but he just keeps rising and rising. Where are you at on CJ Stroud?
1: I mean, it's hard to say he's not anything lower than QB4 at this point. I mean, you put him up straight up against Herbert Burrow, Lawrence, Lamar Jackson, like you're probably going to take him all of all those guys. It's simply because for A, he's producing better than all of those guys. He's not injured. But B, I think he gives you, what did I just talk about with the receivers? He gives you more steam towards pivoting upwards. If you wanted, let's just say another couple of weeks, you could maybe go get Mahomes with CJ Stroud and you wanted to do it. That might be an appealing player where the person goes, you know what, I'm willing to trade Mahomes for CJ Stroud in two seconds. CJ Stroud and a receiver that you're throwing in. Like you, I think you get to the table with anybody in the league at quarterback. If you have CJ Stroud, you have Joe Burrow, you have Justin Herbert, you have Lamar Jackson, you have Trevor Lawrence. Like I hate to say it, but dynasty is a week to week game. Those are all yesterday's news. Theo, the, all of those guys have some sort of black eye on their profile where people would go. Yeah. You know, I like Lamar, but I don't know how he's going to last. I like T law, but I don't know if he has the same ceiling as these other guys, Herbert man. He hasn't been great the last month. And he's on the downward trend of the the team that they've put together, right? Same with Burrow. Like, you could argue both those guys are quote-unquote falling, and the narrative on Stroud is, man, Theo, their weapons are – and here's the fallacy. I'll end it with this. We can't just say, well, C.J. Stroud did so much as a rookie. He's only going to get 20% better next year because you're going to hear it. Better line, more weapons, second year. If he scored 23 points per game this year, he's got to score 26 next year. And then next year, he only scores 22, and you're like, oh, maybe he wasn't that good. No, he probably always was. We just we can't assign, oh, he was a rookie. He's going to get 20% better, so his fantasy production is going to go up. So I, I think he's a very polarizing one, but I, I don't think you can put him any lower than QB4. And no, is I, it a hot take to say if you can get, like, another starter that – I mean, I have three main events this week, Theo, in the semis. Two with CJ Stroud and Patrick Mahomes. Because I picked up Stroud off waivers early. Who do I start? The fact I'm debating that tells me I should be thinking about their dynasty tiers too, right?
0: Really? Yeah, 100%. And I think that you nailed it. I got I got C.J. Stroud rocking in a main event as well. I got C.J. Stroud rocking in a couple big NFFC spots. He's the truth. He's awesome. And uh, Mahomes versus Stroud, that's a topic for the offseason, Scott. That's a topic for the offseason. Quickly give us your Biggest disappointment uh, this season? Rapid fire. Biggest disappointment,
1: Dynasty. Oh, man. Biggest disappointment. Here's one that I don't think a lot of people have talked about. If you would have told me this team would lead the league in pass attempts, yet Terry McLaurin was just like a wide receiver three, that's a guy I had a lot of, and I didn't expect the team to be how they are. But if you told me their team's going to throw it more than any team in the league, And he's only given you what, like 12 and a half points per game, something like that. I I think that's a, and that's a historically a guy that I would have always said is a situation shy of being a stud. And then he gets a good situation and he falls off. So maybe he bounces back. But for me, that's a disappointment because I've always thought he was better than uh, a lot of people did. And he got a situation that should have been favorable this year. And it just hasn't.
0: The Eric Biannimi factor work for Sam Howell and Brian Robinson and, and not the receivers. We, we missed that one. Uh, Scott, you crushed it today. Uh, let everybody know where they can find your work.
1: Yeah, you can find me on Trades in 5 every Tuesday night, 8.30. We do our live stream, uh, Mannequin Chill Drops on Fridays with Shane and I. So that comes out as a YouTube video. And then Destination Devi every Monday morning, Destination Dynasty launches on the radio feed. Trades in 5 is simulcasted on Destination Devi's pod feed. So if you miss the live shows on YouTube, you can find them on the pod feed. And then every Thursday, there's going to be Dynasty Portfolio Weekly, which is a video on portfolio strategy. And then I forgot to give a shout out to Ray. Ray and I do Destination Chill Wednesday nights. Uh, may move to Sundays during the offseason, but uh, just a live show. We just talk football. We talk some dynasty, some football. He comes at it from a slightly different angle than I do, which makes our rapport pretty good. So you can check out everything Destination Devi and Trades in Five.
0: Yeah, and look for look for Ray to to be here on player profiler in some capacity. I think we might be doing something with this twenty twenty four class early uh, on Futurecast, which is very cool because I've got a chance this year. Uh, Cody Cody Carpenter, and then before that it was Ray Garvin. They were running Futurecast. Now I'm doing it with Matty Kiwum. So we're we're diving in this 2044 class. And, Scott, next time we podcast together, we're going to get to more of the show sheet. This was so good that we only hit about 20% of it. But uh highly recommend you check out Scott's work. Check out the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast we recorded earlier today. Uh, highly recommend Dynasty Trades in 5, Destination Devi. You guys are killing it. And stick with us here at Player Profiler Dynasty Life. I'm going to be bringing you great guests every single week, uh, all off-season. We're going to cover some of the the biggest uh, things in Dynasty. We're going to get after this 2024 class. And uh, let's crush it in our leagues. This is the time to make some money. This is the time to win some titles. Week 13, man, it's going to be over very soon. Have a great weekend.
2: Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you